Hello and welcome to another episode of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast with me, your host, Paul Swindell. And today I'm joined by Neil McGee, who is a cardiac specialist nurse at the Essex Cardiothoracic Centre in Essex. Hello, Neil, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Paul. Thank you very much for inviting me. My pleasure. Can you briefly tell me about your background and how you got into nursing? Okay. Uh, So I've been nursing for 20-something years now. Um, I didn't originally think that I would... uh, go into uh, nursing. So I left school and was thinking of a career in the city and um, quickly realised once I left university that that probably wasn't what I actually enjoyed doing. And after working in a couple of insurance companies, definitely realised that it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Uh, so I changed tack and uh, went into work in a care home. Uh, that was partly inspired by um some uh, my sister and a brother-in-law who uh, are both nurses i saw what what they were doing and thought that's something worthwhile and and saw that they were fulfilled by their jobs and thought yeah i thought i could try that so that's what i did i worked in a residential home for people with disabilities and applied for my nurse training and after a while i found a university that would uh, take me on because at that time, it was um, a little bit strange for somebody with all of their qualifications in uh, uh, business and finance to be applying for nursing. <laughs> um, so, so, so yeah, um, so yeah, I, I did get um, some people to, to take my application seriously, and um, and uh, yeah, and applied, um, qualified as a nurse in 1998. Uh, worked in a general surgical ward initially, uh, but always had a passion for cardiology throughout my training. Uh, the cardiology wards were, were always the wards that I had enjoyed working on most. Um, and soon after that, I I did my six months in surgery, as, which was then the kind of thing that you're expected to do um, when you qualified, and then went into a coronary care unit and spent just over a year there before uh, transferring to intensive care. Um, was that in Essex? Uh, uh, no, that was in Bath. Uh, I was living down there then. So, so how, how did you end up at the uh, Essex Cardiothoracic Centre in Basildon? Yes, um, I, I grew up in Essex um, and moved back here in 2001. Uh, worked in Southend Hospital in the intensive care unit there. When I saw the plans uh, coming forward for um, a cardiothoracic centre in uh, right on my doorstep, I thought, fantastic. Uh, so I, I applied um, to, to work at the uh, cardiothoracic centre uh, as soon as that opened. And um, I was there uh, for, for the opening week. And um, yeah, it started in July t- uh, 2007. I was going to say, when, when was that? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what the motivation was for creating a, a cardiac specialist centre in Essex was? The uh, driver for it was that the government at the time um, had a pot of money um, for uh, uh, developing uh, services. Uh, Cardiac services in the UK at that time were 
decades behind what what other countries uh, were doing. So in terms of um, management of patients having um, a heart attack, which yeah, myocardial infarction, so a, a blockage of uh, one of the arteries. Um, the gold standard is now that if you're getting certain ECG changes, then a stent is the the, the right treatment for that. Um, whereas previously, patients were going into their local A and E. Uh, they were given uh, drugs to to try and um, uh, dissolve the clots, um, which are less effective than stents and, and consequently uh, more patients were developing heart failure uh, symptoms uh, after their heart attack because they were getting less effective treatment uh, uh, than, than they currently get. So the government had a plan to, to build more regional centres and in, 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 in doing that, uh, they would increase the capacity at uh, the waiting times for a patient needing um, coronary artery bypasses or, or, or stent uh, implants uh, was significantly longer uh, than it is now. So, so having centres like the CTC um, in, in, in Basildon and Essex um, and in uh, most other regions uh, throughout the county, uh, they've, they've also uh, uh, developed uh, similar centres. So uh, they've increased the capacity for, for being able to provide um, more modern uh, medicine to, to, to patients with uh, cardiac disease. So how many uh, patients in terms of cardiac arrest and heart attack do you see each year? Uh, cardiac arrest patients are around um, 130 to 150 uh, uh, per year at the moment. Um, that has increased progressively uh, since since we opened. So if if we go back 10 years, uh, that number was probably between about 50 and 70. So, so it's almost doubled uh, in that time. Uh, I think that's partly because of the reputation of the cardiothoracic centre means that the Hems and air ambulance crews um, want to bring patients to to the CTC uh, uh, rather than uh, going to, to to their local hospital, um, and and also just the fact that the message is getting out there for early uh, resuscitation and um, having more um, AEDs, um, the uh, defibrillators in the community, uh, mean that more patients are surviving uh, cardiac arrests, which 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 is often which is obviously a positive sign. So, so, so that's exactly what, what, what we want to see, that, that the chain of survival is, is working and, and more patients are surviving to, 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 to arrive in hospital. Absolutely. And um, you, you just touched on the chain of survival there. Could, could you sort of just uh, um, expand on that a little bit? Tell us what that actually means and whereabouts the CTC fits into that? So... Um, the cardiothoracic centre is a tertiary centre, so, so we, we, we are the kind of a regional centre for Essex and, and South Suffolk. Uh, so, so we're often a little way at, at, at the end, we're right at the end of the chain. Uh, the chain of survival uh, begins with um, the person being recognised to, to be in cardiac arrest, somebody uh, calling for help uh, instantly. Um, getting the the paramedics there um, and 
early defibrillation too. So, so if the patient is in a public place, um, say a sports centre, leisure centre, shopping centre, uh, anywhere where, where there's likely to be a lot of passing people, uh, having access to um, a, an automated defibrillator that, that, that somebody passing, even if they don't know how to, to do, even if they haven't got the kind of uh, formal um, qualifications in, in resuscitation, then, then they would be able to, to follow the simple instructions uh, on the box, uh, put, put the pads on the patient's chest and, and, and the defibrillator will do the rest. So, so early defibrillation uh, really is a lifesaver for, uh, for, uh, for these patients. And you, you guys uh, are on the receiving end for a lot of these, as we say, cardiac arrest patients. So can you sort of run us through what happens when, that, when a patient comes in? Okay, so um, we've got quite a well-drilled um, uh, team now. Um, uh, we've been doing it for, for quite a few years now. Uh, so we always get warning from the uh, paramedic crews to, to say that they have been called to uh, a patient that's had a cardiac arrest. Uh, they will give us as much warning as, as they can that they are about to arrive. Uh, that call goes through to the coordinator on uh, the cardiology ward. They then inform the uh, intensive care team um, and uh, the cardiologists. So, so uh, you have uh, two teams of doctors and, 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 and nurses uh, that, that will be in attendance to, to be waiting at the um, ambulance bay door uh, to, to, uh, to receive that patient. Uh, we will then assess and um, uh, treat the patient, uh, normally going straight into the um, uh, uh, cardiac cath labs, uh, which is uh, where they do the angiogram, which is uh, uh, to look at the uh, coronary arteries to determine whether the reason for the cardiac arrest is uh, because of a blocked uh, coronary artery uh, or not. So, so, so you're looking to exclude that. If there's a blockage in one of the coronary arteries, uh, they will be looking to, to insert stents in there to, to, uh, to treat that blockage. Sometimes it's an electrical problem uh, rather than a mechanical problem. Uh, so, so it, Sometimes you need the electricians rather than the plumbers uh, to put it in uh, uh, more more simplistic terms. Um, the, the patient is then assessed and 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 and, and treated uh, as as they need to be. Um, the anaesthetic team will be looking after uh, the patient, uh, putting them on uh, the ventilator. Um, uh, in the cardiothoracic centre, we strongly believe that uh, calling patients uh, gives better neurological outcomes. Uh, and we've been involved in several studies um, in assessing that. The hard data out there is a little bit, is, is mixed. So, so the, there, there is no firm evidence uh, to, to show a positive correlation between outcome and um, whether the patient's called or not, but, but um, we believe that early intervention with with calling uh, does uh, potentially improve um, a neurological. I outcome. guess the key thing is to stop people overheating and getting a fever as such. Yes, so. yeah. So, so uh, we're currently involved in a study that 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 is doing that. So it's comparing uh, stopping fever with uh, active cooling. So, so it's maintaining normal th thermia and and preventing. Um, patients having a high temperature, which increases uh, metabolic demands um, uh, compared to 
actively cooling the patient down to, 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 to way below uh, normal temperature and, and keeping them at that temperature for, for a period of time afterwards. So how, how many people do you, do you put, or do you put everyone into the cooling? Or I mean, if, if a patient comes in and they're still conscious or they've been resuscitated and then for whatever reason they haven't felt like they needed to sedate them at the, the scene, would, would you still call them if they came in conscious? Or? No, so, so it's only for patients that, that come in uh, unconscious after a cardiac arrest. So if, if a patient is fully conscious and uh, orientated and, and able to have a conversation with you, it, it's to, to prevent um, a brain injury that, that we would uh, try and call the patient. If they're clearly fully compassmentous and, and, and not having any, any, any difficulties uh, at that point in time, then it, it's likely that the period of uh, no flow or, or, or reduced flow of, of blood flow to, to the brain uh, was limited and, and they, they would have got early uh, good uh, resuscitation to, 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 uh, to, uh, to keep the brain well, uh, well oxygenated. So, what, what sort of percentage of, it, uh, of arrest patients are like are in that state? That's a good question. It's um, I would say it's probably about seventy five percent are unconscious, and uh, maybe twenty to twenty five percent would would uh, be uh, fully conscious and and able to 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 have a conversation with you. And, and presumably, they will go on to have a, a better recovery. Would that be the case? Uh, normally, yes, yeah. It's a, a less complicated uh, recovery because patients that go into intensive care and, and need to be fully ventilated for, for a period of time, uh, their neurological uh, recovery is, is, is always um, un uncertain. Um, whereas patients where you know from the outset that neurologically they're, they're fully intact, then then, then, then that's very reassuring from 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 from, from the outset. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it, it's it's very difficult when patients come in unconscious um, because you 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 just don't know how how they're going to uh, recover and how they're going to wake up or 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 in fact whether they're going to wake up. So so unfortunately for for, for some people uh, they they don't ever uh, make um, a good a good recovery. So. Mm -hmm. So, so the patients come in either conscious or unconscious, and they've gone into the cath lab. And you said they uh, they quite often have an angiogram. Can you just tell me what an angiogram is? Uh, an angiogram is where they put um, a dye through the arteries um, and uh, take um, X-rays of the coronary arteries um, to, to 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 look for any. Um, uh, blockages or, or narrowings that, that that will require treatment with a percutaneous stent. So, so they will then, if if they do see uh, a narrow narrowing which is uh, caused or, or likely to have caused the the cardiac arrest, they will insert a stent into that to to, to try and um, sort out the, uh, the the reason for the patient having the cardiac arrest. Yeah. So once uh, any blockages have, have been cleared or no blockages found. Um, you mentioned that there, there might be uh, an electrical problem. Would that be dealt with there and then, or is, is it something that would be investigated there and then, or would the, what would happen next? Normally the patient will um, be transferred to the intensive care unit. 
um, and, and, and they will then try and stabilize the patient. If there is an electrical problem, um, some, sometimes it does need immediate treatment and, and, and if it did, they would put a pacemaker in uh, or, 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 or some kind of uh, pacing-like device um, uh, immediately. Uh, but, but normally, if, if it is an electrical problem, uh, it, they normally wait until uh, the patient's stabilised uh, before putting one of these devices in uh, because uh, the risk of infection in the acute phase is, uh, is much higher. Um, most patients, when they have a cardiac arrest, uh, they, they lose control of their airway and, and they aspirate stomach contents down onto their lungs. So, so normally they do require a, a period of treatment with antibiotics to, to prevent any lung infections which, which may uh, interfere with their devices and, and, and uh, uh, pacemakers or, or defibrillators that, that, that may or may not need to be uh, implanted afterwards. Do you see many patients that have uh, additional injuries because of how they've gone into a rest, maybe through driving or uh, I don't know if they're on a roof or something like that. Absolutely, because of the nature of um, cardiac arrest being unpredictable, then what the patient was doing at, at the time of their injury um, is can, can cause uh, consequential problems. So, so like you say, if, if the patient was drive, driving, uh, they may have um, uh, uh, crash the car and, and have uh, uh, rib fractures because of the, the steering wheel and, and internal trauma uh, because of any impacts uh, uh, because of uh, that. So, so it, the management of patients post cardiac arrest needs a much more multidisciplinary approach than you, your standard patient that's having a heart attack. So, so the, the reason for the cardiac arrest may have been because they had um, sepsis or, or, or something else uh, going on at the time. So, so there may have been other systemic in, inflammatory uh, processes going on that, 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 that may have uh, uh, tipped that patient over the edge to, to, to have a cardiac arrest. So. Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess they make a, a lot more uh, complicated and uh, interesting maybe patient to look at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's certainly more challenging when when, yes, that's when, the word challenge. <laughs> when you're when when you're trying to stabilise a patient that that's had um, a cardiac arrest, it, it is uh, a huge insult on the body and and, and the uh, consequential organ um, dysfunction as as a result. That does cause uh, other other difficulties for for both the patient and and the medical team looking after them, yeah. <laughs> so from, from there, I presume they get, you, you mentioned they went into the ITU. Yeah. Um, so how long are typically patients in that for and what, what's happening in that area? Length of stay in critical care varies enormously uh, between patients. For some patients, it can be as short as 24 or 48 hours. Um, in other patients, it can be at weeks and months, um, uh, so, so it depends very much on how much damage has, has been done, uh, both in terms of uh, the impacts on, on the heart uh, and, and other organs. So, so primarily the, the three main organs that, that are affected in, in the first um, couple of days uh, are the brain, the heart and the lungs. Consequently, after 
24, 48 hours, uh, you often see a knock-on effect on, on, on the kidneys and liver. Uh, so, 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 so if, if they develop multi-organ failure, then, then they are the patients that, that then have a very protracted and, and longer journey uh, uh, to recovery and, and, and to getting out of uh, critical care. One of the things that I see from um, that people I saw a lot just recently is, is issues around intubation. Yeah. Can you sort of just talk about what that is and why that might give people a, a problem? Yeah, uh, so intubation is when uh, a patient uh, needs um, assistance with their breathing. So, so that's either because they're unconscious and not able to breathe for themselves or they're kept on a ventilator uh, because the work of breathing is too much for uh, for, for that patient uh, because of other things that are going on with them. So sometimes uh, patients are kept in a medically induced coma and, and they need to be intubated uh, for that reason to uh, to try and uh, stabilize them and and so that the the underlying uh, cause of 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 their problem can can be dealt with so uh, intubating a patient is um when a tube is is put down um the the patient's windpipe um to to allow a, a mechanical ventilator to to take over uh, a, a the work of the breathing so so the intubation is is just is putting a tube uh, down through the mouth and and, and into the um into the windpipe i do see some people saying that they have sore throats i remember i had a a sore throat for quite a while afterwards. It's just one of the byproducts. I'm it is unfortunately uh, the tube is held in, in place by an inflatable cuff um, uh, that's inflated in the trachea, and um, and and the area around there uh, can can get quite inflamed. Um, uh, depends one how long it's been in there. Everyone's anatomy is is slightly different, and 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 some people react to to to, to a tube being them more than others. But but it, it does normally it, it depends primarily on on how long it's been there. So if it's been there twenty four to forty eight hours, it's a relatively short period of time. If it's been there up to a couple of weeks, then you're more likely to 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 get um, more significant uh, sore throat and and things like that. And for patients that aren't able to, to wake up uh, within that seven to, to, to ten day uh, kind of window, that's often the time frame that, that we think about putting a more um, uh, secure air, airway in. So, so some patients will have a tracheostomy um, um, uh, performed uh, in, 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 in that kind of seven to ten day window if, if we haven't been able to get them off of the uh, a ventilator to, to help with the breathing. So what, what's the process of getting them off of the breathing and, and waking them up? Um, how do you go about doing that and what's, at what time do you start that? It, it depends on how cardiovascularly stable uh, the patient is. So, so we're in intensive care, we're constantly uh, monitoring um, uh, blood gases, which are looking at the acidity or, and um, and uh, oxygen levels uh, in the blood um, and, and the carbon dioxide waste products and things like that. So we're assessing using that and uh, and the other kind of invasive monitoring that we're doing in, in terms of blood pressure and at, at neurological status and, and things like that. Once 
we're happy that the, the patient is stable and is able to progress and, and increase the, the, the work of breathing, we will turn down the um, sedation first um, and, and then gradually we will uh, continue assessing the patient. If, if they're starting to, to wake up and, and to initiate the breaths on their own, we will taper down the amount of help that the ventilator is giving the patient to the point where eventually the, the sedation is turned off completely, the patient's able to, to breathe for themselves. Uh, and, and at that point, we can take them off of the mechanical ventilation, uh, take, take, take the tubes out and, and, and then just give them face mask oxygen to breathe for, for, for a period of time if, if that's necessary. Would the cooling be turned off at that point as well? Yes, uh, normally we wouldn't uh, try and um, wake somebody up uh, and, until they've uh, come back to normal temperature uh, because um, it's very uncomfortable to be kept cool uh, if, if you're fully awake. So um, shivering would increase the uh, metabolic um, uh, demands on, on, on the body. So it's more comfortable for the patient if, if they're completely sedated uh, and, until they've been warmed uh, so, so back that, up to a normal temperature. So the temperature would be one of the first things I guess. And yes. at what period do you, when do you start doing that, do you know? Normally 24 hours after they've reached target temperature. So, so so we call patients down as quickly as possible. Some patients um, are down to target temperature in, in a matter of minutes. Um, in, in others, it, it, can, it can take a few hours. Um, it depends on what temperature you, you're starting at. So if they've already got a fever, when you start, they've got a bit further to go to, uh, to get down to the, um, the target temperature of normally 32 to 34 uh, degrees. It's normally after 24 hours of, of keeping them at that uh, regulated temperature that, that we would start to increase it very gradually by about half a degree an hour. And, and, and so, it, so it, it, from the time that you start rewarming, it, it's often six to eight hours after that, 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 that you get the patient back to a normal temperature that you can think about turning the sedation down and, and uh, waking them up. We are using different medications to, to prevent shivering now. So, so in some patients, we, we are starting to um, wake them up whilst they're still being called. And, and we have had um, good successes with that. Um, but but it, it, it's not always standard practice to, to, to wake somebody up, up whilst they're still being called. Mm -hmm. but, but it can be done. So what happens if you you, um, you warm someone back up again and then you you remove or lower the sedation uh, presumably you want them to wake up at that point and so what happens if if they don't wake up if they don't wake up you uh, continue with uh, supportive uh, therapies in in terms of the uh, maintaining the, the the breathing with the ventilator and um, maintaining blood pressure with uh, any, any medications that, that may be necessary for that some patients take a lot longer to wake up than than others, uh, so it, it it's very variable, and and for some patients it, it means that they need weeks in the intensive care unit, um, and and for some it it, it can be uh, months even. That so so it, it sometimes a very long journey for 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 both patients and 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 their relatives. So what what's the sort of longest that you've ever known anyone to actually? Be be un, in in uh, be sedated and then make a good recovery. Or? 
the longer somebody needs to be sedated for and the longer it takes them to wake up after a cardiac arrest is is quite often a negative uh, prognostic sign. So the fact that somebody doesn't wake up quickly um, is often an indication that there there has been more neurological damage that that has occurred uh, uh, during the cardiac arrest. Uh, so so it it doesn't always. It's sometimes very difficult to, to correlate uh, the length of time that a patient's had as um, of, of requiring full intensive care support um, and, 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 and their recovery. So I'm afraid I don't know if I'm going to be able to give you that's not a, a clear... I don't, want, I don't want to put you on the spot yeah. at all, but it's just a weird, weird, I ran a, a survey in the, in the group yesterday about um, how long you were in a coma because there was a couple of questions about that uh, or uh, posts related to it and I was quite surprised how long some people have been in a coma that um, I always thought it was just that mostly it would be a a couple of days at most but there are many that are are weeks yeah Um, and and that's not unusual Uh, sometimes it's longer uh, because of uh, lung problems, um, if, if it's longer because of lung problems, then then that's more often reversible and, and, and treatable, and 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 they can still make a good neurological recovery. If the reason that they are needing the vent- ventilation for for longer is because the the body's not triggering the to tell yourself to breathe, that then that tends to indicate that there has been more significant uh, brain injury and and um, and and the other patients that that tend to spend a lot longer in intensive care and, and sometimes don't make such good um, uh, outcomes so assuming that uh, someone what, what what's someone like when you actually bring them back and they do wake up um, what what's what's how are they basically uh, normally very agitated um, most patients have got no idea where they are. They wake up and they've got tubes coming in, in, in and out of their body for, for monitoring. So, so they've got the tube for, for the breathing is, is still down their throats. Um, they've got um, wires with get, going into their veins, in their arms, in their neck often, um, and, and, and into the artery as well to, to, to uh, constantly measure the blood pressure. So, so they've got lots of tubes and wires and, and ECG monitors and, and things. So they're hooked up to a, a lot of equipment and it can be very distressing for some patients. So, so some will become very restless, very agitated and, and can be quite aggressive. Uh, other patients will will just be uh, very emotional and 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 j- just find it very distressing and, and um, most patients will find that their short term memory is, is is very impaired and and they will um, be constantly asking their their family the same questions uh, over and over again. That's uh, uh, that's uh, very common and and these patients needs. Lots of reassurance, and and, and the uh, nursing medical staff will, will be constantly reiterating why they're there, uh, what's happened, and and trying to explain what what the different tubes and wires are, 
for to, to, to try and orientate the patient back to, to, to where they are and, 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 and why they're there. Because for, for most patients that have had a cardiac arrest, they miss large chunks of what happened immediately before their cardiac arrest and, and sometimes days and weeks beforehand. So, so it, it, it depends on, on the individual, but, but the, the memory is, is, is often impaired initially. In the um, you mentioned about the memory being impaired there. It, um, I've been told that I ask the same questions over and again, and I've heard lots of other people say that as well. Is that because of the damage to the memory, or is it a medication, or is it a combination of both? Yeah, it, you're right. It's a combination of both. So some of the medications that that, that we use to to medically induce the coma does have an effect of amnesia. Um, so, so it, 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 it can be a medication effect that, that, that is exacerbating that. Uh, but it's also the fact that when the heart stops, the oxygen flow to, to the brain also stops. Uh, any period of time where there's no oxygen flow to the brain, uh, you do get cell damage and, and, and cell death. So, so short term memory is, is particularly uh, vulnerable to, to that. So, so in, in the early days, particularly after a cardiac arrest, patients do find that the, the, the brain is very inflamed and, and, and very uh, irritable. And, 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 and they do find that, that short-term memory is often quite significantly affected. While this is all happening with the patient, obviously one of the uh, other main players in the, these scenarios are the partners and the families. So, and, and they've probably gone through a, a horrendous trauma. Quite often they would have witnessed the event yeah. or even uh, had a part in resuscitating the, the patients. How, how do you deal with the, 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 patient, uh, the partner and the family and when they see their partner waking up? Uh, that can be a very traumatic time for patients next of kin too. So, um, Trying to support the family through that journey is 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 very difficult, and a big part of what we do in intensive care is is often looking after the relative as 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 well as the patient. So, uh, particularly if they have been involved in the uh, resuscitation um, uh, uh, themselves, if they were uh, the first person on the scene, if if they had called the paramedics, if they had started uh, the CPR, uh, that's a big burden to be carrying and when they see the patient waking up and and the patient's very agitated very restless it it, it can be very traumatic uh, for for the family and and the and the whole time that the patient's in a coma is is an extremely stressful time for 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 the families and and there's nothing that you can do to prepare or or, or to, to comfort somebody and, until the patient wakes up and, and, and they're talking to you normally. We, we can't offer any real concrete hope um, other than the, okay, the, that, that the ev everything is being done that, that can be done. Yeah. And yeah. The, the tools are giving you the, the information that they can. And yeah. I guess the, the tools aren't uh, totally black and white you're never going to know whether it's going to be a good outcome or a bad outcome I, I guess from you guys you've probably got quite a lot of experience and you get a bit of a, a gut feel whether someone's going to make it or not yeah 
but you probably you know you can't let on too early or well, I don't know. No, it's it, it it's it's very unpredictable, and there are some patients that on paper you you would look at the stats and and look at the um, the information that that you're given from from the paramedics and 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 and, and may think they've got a low chance of, of making a good recovery. And we've had lots of patients that, that on, on paper you, you, you may have written off, um, but, but have made fantastic recoveries. And, and conversely, you, we have some patients that have very short downtimes, but, but have very poor outcomes. And, 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 and it's very difficult to predict in, in the early stages at least. Uh, which, which patients are going to make a good outcome and which uh, which ones aren't? Um, the testing and information that that we're able to do with um, EEGs and, and other forms of monitoring are getting slightly more sensitive and and able to to, to pick up um, markers that that give better indications. But but it is. It's not completely black and white. There's a lot of grey in that, and and, um, and sometimes it, it is just a question of time and and giving the patient time to 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 um, to, to to make that recovery. So, is age a factor in this? Would you say that younger people do better than older people, or is that or is there nothing in that? Um, in some respects, yes. Um, I think age is always. A factor that, that that does come into play. Um, unfortunately, patients that have a cardiac arrest at a younger age um, sometimes have quite significant comorbidities that 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 go with it. Um, it it's, it's not always the case, but but sometimes um, if you're having a cardiac arrest at, at a very young age, sometimes that's not always a good a, a good sign that 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 that's happened to you. Um, but um, and some and consequently, you get ninety-something-year-olds that, that 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 make fant- fantastic recoveries, and 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 you may not may not have expected that. So so it, it is very unpredictable, and age is quite an unreliable, uh, I think, um, indicator of whether or not some, somebody will make a good recovery in terms of being able to recover from an insult and multi-organ distress, younger patients tend to have a bit more reserve and a bit more resilient than, than an older patient. But, but, but um, sometimes the, the older ones are made of tough stuff and, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and they are very resilient. <laughs> so um, when the patient's woken up and they're, they've been in, I guess they get moved to a, a normal cardiac ward but then, um, how long is it before they get discharged and what are the sort of pointers that you get and then what happens once they get discharged and and I, and I believe one of your other hats is uh, the uh, care clinic coordinator. Yes. So there's, yes. there's quite a lot of information yeah. or questions in that, that one statement. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So break that down a little bit. So initially, once a patient is uh, what we would say cardiovascularly stable, so, so so their heart and lungs are, are working uh, without um, any additional support, um, and they're neurologically able to um, 
to, to be able to, to support that, then uh, we will look to uh, transfer the patient uh, down to uh, a roading ward, which is our cardiology ward. They have a high dependency area there, uh, which is where the patients will go initially. And as the patient improves, they will then transfer down to the, the, the normal part of the ward and, 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 and the process uh, working towards uh, discharge um, is, is put into place. So there's a bigger team involved in the discharge process. So obviously the, the cardiologists are, um, are responsible for the patients. So, so it's their decision, uh, but, but the nursing team have a big input in uh, into that. Um, you've also got the physiotherapists and the occupational therapists that that have a key role in 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 um, assessing and monitoring any other needs of the patient. So so it's it, it's it's about making sure that um, not just the patients fit from a cardiac point of view, but but it's also looking at social factors, um, um, any other things that have happened during the hospital stay, which, which means that their ability to live independently when they go home has, has altered. Um, lots of patients do need more support once they go home than, than they did when they came into hospital. So it's about making sure that the, the right package of care is, is, is available for the patient before they're discharged. I sort of touched on about the fact that you're the care clinic coordinator and uh, I, I was in your hospital 2014 yep. and um, from what I understand from Dr. Keeble that was just about the time you were starting this project. Could you, could you sort of give us a little bit of background and, uh, and what's happened with it and tell us about it basically? Yep. So um, just before then was when we had done uh, one of our first uh, calling trials and we did a small or smallish uh, study uh, looking at uh, two different types of uh, calling device and, and assessing patients um, as, as to which was more efficient in, in, in calling the patient down and, and whether that made any difference to, to, to outcome. We had always kind of suspected that this group of patients would have more complex needs uh, on discharge, but but we'd never we'd never looked at it. So uh, Dr. Keeble and myself asked some patients to to come back, and it, it was just a handful of patients that that, that we had chosen uh, from from the patients that had been in 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 the calling trial. In terms of outcome to to survival, uh, we we reported fantastic results. Um, uh, 67% survival, which was uh, way out there in terms of um, all comers, uh, cardiac arrest in terms of um, outright uh, survival. So, so we were uh, quite pleased with ourselves, I, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of um, how 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 well the patients had done from from a purely medical point of view, um, looking at the numbers of survivors and 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 how well they were functioning from um, a neurological point of view at, at the time of discharge. So so they were going home and, and, and they weren't all dependent and uh, needing a lot of assistance. However, what we found when we brought patients back was that either the patients or, or their family member were finding 
we were effectively seeing uh, significant post-traumatic stress uh, symptoms, um, lots of anxiety, lots of depression, and um, difficulty adjusting to, to, to life after the cardiac arrest. We were a little taken aback by that and thought, okay, these patients are making great medical recovery, but the, the whole kind of package, we're, we're, we're not getting that at all and, 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 and something else needs to be done. So we had a look around the UK uh, to see what other centres were doing and other centres were doing exactly what we were, absolutely nothing. Um, so we said, okay, this isn't good enough. So, so we looked a little bit further afield and Dr. Keeble found some research by uh, a Dr. Moulert who works in the Netherlands and she had published a couple of very nice studies on um, early intervention uh, with post-cardiac arrest survivors uh, to, to look at what they were doing over there. Rehabilitation in the Netherlands is a medical speciality in itself and Dr. Muller works in a centre that's probably about the size of Basildon Hospital that's purely for uh, rehab rehabilitation. Um, so from any medical yes problem. yeah uh, so uh, rehabilitation is is given a lot more kind of weight in some other countries the, uh, than it is in the UK um, so so we were lucky enough to uh, she was over here at um, a, a conference and she was kind enough to, to give us some of her time to to describe how she set up um, her her clinic and uh, which is run by uh, two nurses and, and she told us what kind of uh, testing they did, um, uh, what kind of interventions that, that they were uh, providing and, and we, we sought to, to, to replicate that. So as, as a way of doing it um, under the radar slightly, we set up our own research trial which was 20 patients in each arm and that was back in uh, 2014. So you were actually one of the um, early uh, patients that were uh, into that trial um, but unfortunately you were the one one of the patients that were uh, being looked at retrospectively. So, so uh, the first 20 patients that we saw we invited them back after uh, the event and, and we saw them uh, uh, between about three and nine months after their cardiac arrest and and and, and we uh, just brought patients back uh, asked them how life was with them and and and, and i don't know if you remember uh, we did some uh, testing that that looked at uh, concentration memory and 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 some some uh, general quality of life um, markers there what we found was that at, at, the, at the baseline, uh, patients were in a really bad way. And, and when we compared it to, to patients that have other uh, chronic life-limiting diseases, um, like uh, chronic liver failure, uh, chronic renal failure, um, significant uh, respiratory diseases, uh, severe depression, and, and other things, uh, the cardiac arrest survivors were, were pretty much down at the, the lower levels in, in most of the uh, quality of life outcomes uh, at that point. We then took another group of 20 patients who we um, entered them into the trial uh, whilst they were still inpatients. We gave them a little bit more support uh, before discharge home. They were given uh, 
information leaflets. They were, they were given a, a contact number to, uh, to call. Um, so they were given a, a slightly better package of care if, if, if you like to go home with um, and, and were seen in clinic um, at three months and um, at nine months afterwards. Um, sorry, was it? No, at uh, three and six months uh, afterwards, and 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 assessed at that point. We also had a consultant psychiatrist um, that, that that was reviewing the patients uh, in clinic uh, if if they required it. Um, so, so we we had um, a slightly more holistic. We we weren't just looking at, at the cardiology and, and and whether the the stents were working or whether the the pacemaker was working, and uh, which is. Normally, all cardiologists are, are interested in, uh, in 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 their standard follow-up clinics. Um, so, so we were looking at the psychological needs and, and um, of patients afterwards, and 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 that was the the main focus for the uh, uh, clinic and, and and setting it up was uh, to, to to be looking at the the kind of psychosocial uh, needs of the patient, um, and 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 we found that patients that got more support uh, unsurprisingly had better outcomes. In, in terms of what? In, in, in terms of um, being able to return to work earlier um, in, and in terms of uh, quality of life. The quality of life kind of questionnaire, uh, patients were scoring higher on, on that uh, if, if that had a bit more input in, in, in the early stages after discharge. How about the partners as well? Uh, we also assessed the partners and, and, and they too. Um, it, it was interesting that the partners had similar kind of stress and anxiety levels uh, uh, to the patient. So, so whilst the patient had been through the traumatic experience, uh, the, the, the relatives were also showing signs of post-traumatic stress uh, and anxiety disorders uh, as, as a result of supporting their loved one through uh, through 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 the cardiac arrest. So, did these patients go on to receive any, or, and partners receive any counselling? Or yes, yeah. So, um, some patients were uh, referred for counselling. Uh, some patients were seen by the uh, psychiatrist over, over, over a period of time, and um, so so yeah. So, where necessarily where necessary, they were referred to to appropriate services to 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 be treated. That was the kind of starting place. Uh, since then, we've tried to, 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 to maintain that as a baseline uh, standard of care. So I, I would uh, try and see all patients whilst they're still an inpatient uh, before discharge home, uh, give them the information leaflets. We've also got uh, uh, Dr. Marco Mion, who's a, a neuropsychologist, um, who's um, come on board recently. He's He's, he's been doing some work with our patients. So he does the early part of the follow-up now. So he sees patients either as an inpatient or, or, or soon after discharge. And he normally sees them uh, about three months after that too. Um, he will then hand the patients back to myself and, and I normally see the patients about six months after discharge. So, so the early in interventions, if, if they're required, are done by uh, Marco Neon. And, uh, and then afterwards, um, I uh, take over, uh, well, not take over, but um, uh, patients that are referred on to me and, and I, I just make sure that the, the ongoing needs of the patient are, are are being met and and sometimes 
I, th- I think the most important thing that I do in clinic is, is, is listen to patients. So for some of them, it is information that they want. For, for others, it's an opportunity to, to express all of the things that, that, that have been troubling them over, over, over the past few months. So. So you're becoming a kind kind of counsellor in your own way, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I've I've to put my hands up now and say I've I've got no formal uh, counselling experience or or, or or training, but um, but I like to think I've got an empathetic ear. <laughs> so so uh, I I think I think that's the the most important thing that I do offer to patients. Yeah, yeah I, I I totally agree with you in that. I, I've heard a lot of people say that talking about it it helps enormously and but it has for me as well it's partly why I'm doing this I guess yeah <laughs> but uh, yes it, it certainly does it's good to talk as it used to say absolutely yeah it was a BT yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they weren't wrong I guess no <laughs> so where where's it that was 2014 have, have we have you published results from that at all what you were doing there so it's finally got to publication, and um, and and it is. I got the draft a couple of weeks back, uh, so I don't don't know if it's out there and uh, fully published. But but yes, it it is in. Um, uh, I think it's the Journal of uh, Neuropsychology, uh, but I'll uh, I'll confirm that one with you. <laughs> um, but yes, it 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 is finally get getting into print, and uh, and it, and it does show that. Um, in in the results showed, as, as I suggested earlier, that in the early uh, three to six month period, uh, patients that don't have any or, or or don't feel that they have any support in 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 that period of time take longer to to adjust to to, to life after cardiac arrest than, than than those that are given relatively simple interventions of being seen in clinic. Um, Possibly just normalising what what they're experiencing, what they're going through, and having the opportunity to, to discuss it, uh, being referred to um, other services like counselling, like a neuropsychology or, or psychiatrist if if, if necessary, um, memory clinics, and 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 all of those other things that 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 we know are important in. in and getting somebody back to, to to the best health that they can. You you touch on memory clinics, Darren. I know that one of the the big um, problem, or common problems, sorry, is is uh, short term memory issues um, yeah. with members of the group and and myself as well to a certain degree. Although I think that's improved a bit. Um, can you tell me any any more about that? Is is that a common thing? And uh, yeah. is there? You mentioned memory clinic. I wasn't aware there was such a thing. Is, is that something that uh, people get referred to a lot now? Yes. Yeah. So um, memory clinics are something that have tended to be used um, in relation to uh, dementia and Alzheimer's um, for, for, for many years. Um, but we're finding that many of the uh, patients that are coming through our services uh, also have problems with short-term memory memory as, as a result of um, what we call hypoxic brain injury uh, so um, so they also have difficulties with short-term memory it's a different mechanism to to the patients that, that have uh, dementia or, or, or long-term 
uh, kind of uh, degenerative illnesses, but but it, it it's the same effect. So um, uh, GPs are, are quite happy to, to to refer patients in, in into the memory services clinics and, and and for patients to be assessed there and 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 and, um, and any uh, treatments or, or suggestions um, for that are, are dealt with in. In, uh, by, by the specialists that, that, that specialise in those areas. So are you finding you're referring to all sorts of other specialists as well? Absolutely, yeah. So, so um, uh, physiotherapists, uh, sometimes speech therapists and occupational therapists um, and, um, and, and memory services are, are, are the common ones that, that, that we refer to. Uh, Counselling is, is also something that is often very important and and like you said it, it's good to talk and and somebody having somebody that that is just completely detached from from the situation so it it's good to talk to, to family members and and family members are, are absolutely crucial in in often getting people back to a good recovery but sometimes it's too close to home to to talk to a close family member or to, to a partner or, or especially if they were there and they absolutely they've yeah. gone through that trauma and trying to talk to them about it only resurfaces that trauma yeah definitely and sometimes it's it's not only the patient that that needs a counseling it's quite often the the partner of the patient that that also needs a counseling in 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 the in their own session so to it often doesn't work if, if it's a joint session and, and it's, it works much better if, if you do split the patient and, 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 and the relative up and, and, and you give them both the, the individual attention. Um, so, 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 so that would be the, the gold standard would be able to uh, provide that to take the, the patient and the relative into, in, in, into different clinic rooms and, and, and talk to them about their, their individual uh, issues like that. So I'm going to come back to that, but one, one um, thing you mentioned, you said about a, a leaflet. I believe you also. One of the reasons that I, I sort of, uh, I, I remember doing the coming to the CTC and doing the the survey and some tests and that. But the reason I, I came into contact with uh, Dr. Keeble is because I saw your face in the video in the, <laughs> in the, in the uh, similarly named Life After Cardiac Arrest. Yes, there's a theme there. <laughs> yeah. You haven't got copyright on that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> could, could I think tell, Tom might, I'm not sure. <laughs> could you tell me, and, and also you mentioned a leaflet, could you tell me a little bit more about that video and, and the leaflet? We recognised that there was a huge unmet need um, at that time and we wanted to to find a way of being able to get the message out there to as many potential patients and, and relatives as possible um, and we realised that what we were trying to set up in Essex in the cardiothoracic centre wasn't happening in other cardiac centres. Um, so we wanted just to show something that went slightly beyond the borders of Essex. So, so putting a video on onto YouTube was a good way of being able to, to reach a wider audience and and to 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 really put the message out there that um, recovery from cardiac arrest is is much more than just looking after the heart and the stents and or 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 the heart and the 
the pacemaker or defibrillator if um it's more than just cardiology. It, it's much more than cardiology and, and, and just trying to, to, to raise awareness really as, as much as anything and, and to, to, to try and get other centres interested in, in, in trying to provide a similar level of service that, 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 that we're trying to, to set up. And I think we also use that as a way of trying to establish funding for what we were trying to do because when we set it up, we set it up as a trial and basically we, we didn't stop <laughs> so, uh, uh, because we, we, we saw that there, there, there was such an unmet clinical need whilst the um, commissioners and, and things like that still haven't probably fully recognised the need for it and, and, and the funding streams definitely aren't, aren't, aren't quite in place. So, so the cardiothoracic centre has been very good in um, um, allowing uh, staff to to provide the service with, without really being uh, reimbursed for it um, in in terms of the the, the normal uh, funding streams that that you would expect to um, to, to be provided by uh, by the commissioners. So 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 it, I think that's one of the reasons that other centres haven't probably jumped on the jumped on board quite so readily because but they probably won't get paid for it. <laughs> I mean, uh, you're very, very, well, we're all very, very lucky that we've got a, a, a sort of related local charity which should, yes. should give a shout out to Oh, definitely, yes. Yeah. So, so SADS UK um, have been very generous in, in their funding. So um, uh, Dr. Meon's um, uh, research has been funded by them uh, to to, to allow uh, the neuropsychologist and neuropsychology support to, um, uh, to, to have continued for the last two years. Uh, so, so, yeah, so, so um, lots of uh, charity support has, has allowed us to, to, to get to where we are today. Um, thanks very much to, to, to them. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So did you um, say, or has there been much traction with the video? I know you've had almost 40,000 views on it on YouTube, yeah. uh, which is quite impressive or very impressive. Um, but uh, is it hitting home with the other centres across the UK? It's, it's starting to. So um, uh, Dr. Keeble um, was involved in um, a conference in Edinburgh, uh, which I believe uh, you you also attended um and there was a lot of interest um generated from that and i have had um nurses and ot's from other centers uh, re uh, recently come and uh, uh, visit the clinic and um, and wanting to emulate it and, and and set it up in their local hospitals too so 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 there is more interest coming in and and slowly it's it's kind of Drip feeding around, and and, uh, and 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 the message is is getting out there wider. So so uh, Barts, which is probably the UK's biggest uh, cardiac centre, uh, they have come on board and 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 are in uh, interested in in setting up, uh, and I think they have now uh, established uh, a similar kind of setup to uh, uh, to us. So so. Uh, the message is getting out there and 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 it is getting a wider spread so uh, so so there are things in the pipeline that that are making it um more likely that services are going to be better provided for uh, 
um, nationally rather than um, being a, a bit of a, um, a geographical uh, lottery at the moment. <laughs> I guess it's going to be a while before we ever see this as part of a, an NHS care pathway though. That, that's what we're trying to establish. Um, so uh, Dr. Keeble is fundamental at the moment in, 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 in driving that. He's on the board of um, the um, Cardiovascular Society and he has tried to steer the committees that commission um, cardiac arrest centres. So, so they're uh, trying to establish um, some cardiac centres as being specialist um, cardiac arrest centres uh, in a, a similar way to, to some centres, uh, specialist uh, aortic dissection centres and, and, and things like that. So specialist services being offered in, in certain centres. So to, to, to be accredited as one of these specialist centres, Dr Keeble is trying to ensure that unless they've got proper follow-up care afterwards, that then uh, then they can't be, um, uh, well, it's, it's not about being restrictive because we, we want to encourage uh, as many places to, to, to be providing that care as, as possible. Um, so so it, it, it is going to be about uh, trying to be inclusive and, and getting people on board and, and getting people to, to, to recognise what, what's often an unmet need. Indeed. And I, I guess if, if you can roll it out across the country will actually ultimately save the country probably money uh, in, in in the long term the long probably term. yes yeah because from what you said people go back to work sooner and they they've got a better quality of life so they'll be able to engage more in the, in their in life do, do you find that um, you did sort of mention it earlier that about uh, adjusting to life and in in your video this this psychiatrist mentions about adjustment disorder yeah could you sort of uh, explain what that is and tell me your view on it so um in in terms of the um health economics if if you like uh of uh, dr mullert uh in the netherlands she, uh, that was one of the questions she looked at in her research and and she did find that it was um a net save in in terms of uh, the ongoing costs in in terms of um Health, healthcare and, and, uh, social care, uh, for, for patients that receive the early intervention. So, so whilst the, the upfront costs are slightly higher for, for providing those services, uh, the net gain was offset by the, the reduction in, uh, GP visits in, in, in other associated healthcare, uh, costs, um, further on down the line. So, so she did show that it, it was a benefit beneficial in terms of um, saving uh, the the health service money in uh, in the Netherlands which I'm, I'm sure would be transferable to here uh, but but we haven't got any any studies that that that, that back that up in the UK but um, but I'm, I'm sure that would be the case the second part of your question was um, about Oh, adjustment disorder. Oh, uh, that's right. Sorry. With regard to adjustment disorder, um, that is essentially a patient's life before they have a cardiac arrest is almost inevitably going to be very different to, to their life after the, the cardiac arrest. Um, so it's, it's about how the patient copes with that transition and, and is able to, to adjust to it. So, so the, 
psychiatrists did use that term uh, adjustment disorder uh, because patients' lives are often very different after a cardiac arrest. So, so there, there may be some things that have got a lot worse. So uh, one of the most frequent examples of that is uh, initially uh, short-term memory. For, for some patients, they make amazing recoveries and, and it, it is a catalyst for, for them to make lots of significant life changes. And, and they say that it's the best thing that's ever happened to them and, and they've straightened their, their lives out and, and sorted all, all sorts of things out. So, so for some people, it, it can be a positive thing, but, but their life is, is almost always different after a cardiac arrest to, to how it was beforehand. So, so it, 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 it can be very, very difficult for, for people to, to adjust to that. And, and, and because of fatigue and, um, um, short-term memory difficulties, sometimes it can be hard to, to go back to work. And, and if that person was the main breadwinner, for the family, it's it, it then puts different pressures on other members of the family to also adapt to to, to their changing circumstances. So so it is it's very difficult for not not just for the patient in terms of uh, the adaption. It, it's also for for the patient's families too. Mm. Indeed. Uh, so is there any sort of a, there's PTSD, which is a uh, and a disorder as well, and there the are various treatments for that. So, is there a, a treatment, as in quotes, for yeah. adjustment disorder, or is it, or is it just something I don't know? Uh, well, it, it, is there a treatment? There's there, there's no kind of set prescribed uh, treatment for it, but uh, counselling is is often the the thing that we do, uh, not necessarily prescribe, but 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 recommend. Uh, 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 to patients and, and and refer them to a counsellor to to try and look at how they can adjust and adapt and 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 and, and change their mindset sometimes to 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 the new the new life the new you yeah absolutely absolutely well, it's not yeah. just the new you is yeah. it because as you said the partner will sometimes have to adapt and yeah. change to the new circumstances yeah quite well now I've, I've taken up over an hour of time. <laughs> It's been a fascinating journey through um, through life at the CTC and the and the uh, the, the care clinic, which is cardiac uh, arrest resuscitation, I believe. It, it was, uh, but yeah. it's going to be it, changing, it, isn't it? I think. Yeah, it it was um, uh, the initials. Uh, uh, care were a care after a resuscitation so, so that's how it, it it started out so so that was the kind of yeah, inception of it but um but i think uh, dr keeble's got got ideas to to <laughs> it's actually a sensible and nice uh, acronym isn't yeah it, it is yeah yeah no it, it it was quite straightforward we we set wanted to to put it out there as um uh, some, something simple, something that, that patients can recognise, something that uh, other health professionals can, can recognise as, as something simple and, 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 and does what it says on the tin effectively, that, that it, it does, does look to, to provide care to patients post-resuscitation that, that, that need it. So. Okay, and just to, to finish on, can I ask you, have you got any tips for patients or family members that uh, have just gone through a cardiac arrest and uh, if you've got anything to sort of ease any anxieties or just to help them along their way? I think in terms of 
general advice, it's take one day at a time. Uh, so, so don't be trying to, to, to rush too far into uh, planning for the future. Uh, take each day as it comes because things do evolve um, in, in, in different time frames. Um, try to get as much help from as many sources as possible. So, so knock on all of the doors that, that are available to you. So, so if you have been given numbers and people that, that may be uh, offering and providing help, uh, use them. Um, fatigue is a, a big, big problem after a cardiac arrest for, uh, for, for the patient and also for the caregiver too. Um, uh, they can become very fatigued because the, the whole process of what you're going through is absolutely exhausting, but both for the patient and, 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 and the relative too, because the number of nights of disturbed and, um, and, and broken sleep that you get both as a patient in hospital and, and, and as a caregiver, um, when you're at home worrying about the, the patient that's in hospital. Um, a lot of people I see it's all, or hear of going to sort of an overprotective mode as if they've got a brand new baby in the house. Ab 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 absolutely. So, so trying to, to wrap the person in cotton wool is, is a perfectly natural reaction. The patient sometimes feels very claustrophobic and, and stifled by that. Um, that, that's part of the adaption. So, so it, it is about being understanding to, 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 to what the other person's been through as well. So, so whilst they may have been the, the one that was in the coma and, and had all the tubes, wires and, and everything else uh, stuck into them and, 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 and it's their body that, that is recovering from whatever they've been through, the person that's with them has has been witnessing some some pretty awful things with the uncertainty of not knowing if 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 they would come out of it at all um so so that that that's a very difficult journey to go through as uh, a relative too so so it, it it's about um having the insight and understanding to, to think of what, what, what your partner or what your children or, or what your parents uh, have, 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 have been through uh, to, 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 to try and just, just look after one another. And, and the key to a good recovery is, is often using a family support and, 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 and making the most of that. Um, try not to do too much at once. So um, having, having goals is, is a good thing that so having targets to work towards, uh, but, but uh, be kind to yourself and make sure that you factor um, adequate rest and, and uh, recovery in. If you've had a busy day one day, you're probably going to feel wiped out for, for two or three days after that. So, so um, it, it's about um, not trying to, to load your diary up with too many things and, um, and, and expecting to be able to do all of the things that, that you're previously uh, able to do. It, it is about um, trying to um, just break things down into to more manageable chunks and, and, um, and, and uh, as I said, take one day at a time and, 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 and go from there. That's absolutely fantastic, Neil. I'm sure lots of people will take some uh, heart in what you've just said and will hopefully go forward in a, in a better way. Um, 
Okay, thank you very much for, for coming and talking to me tonight about this. And My pleasure. Thank you very hopefully much. Hopefully we can meet up again soon. Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot. Yeah.